So yeah, we're doing a, a series called Practicing the Way, just so you, you to be fully aware, practicingtheway.org, if you want to check it out, okay? It's, uh, it's uh, John Mark Comer, based out of Portland. He's done a whole thing around rule of life and stuff that's meant to help us as Christians. But what do we mean, really, by practicing the way? Uh, well, the early Christians were called followers of the way. And it says of Jesus that he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You know, Paul called, uh, when in Acts 9, verse 1 to 2, Paul said uh, he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the way. In Acts 18, verse 25, Apollos, Apollos was and had been instructed in the way. Uh, Paul, in Acts 22, talks about the way, which they call a sect. And so when we're talking about practicing the way, we're basically talking about what is it like to be a Christian, the way. What does it mean to be a follower of the way? Thomas Akempis, in his book, Imitation of Christ, said, If we wish to be truly enlightened and free from all blindness of heart, then our chief effort, therefore, be to study the life of Jesus Christ. And so a follower of the way is a follower of Jesus. To follow the way is not a path to travel. It's not like we're on this kind of path. It's a pattern to follow, an example, if you will. You know. In order to follow the way, we have to be like the way. We have to imitate the way. And we need to, that means we need to pay careful attention to our own lives. The early Christians were called Christians or, or Christ-like ones or little Christs because they imitated their leader, Jesus. They were followers of the way. So when we talk about practicing the way, we talk about becoming more like Jesus and the practices that we can put in place to help us with that. And so that's what we're doing for the next few weeks, and we'll be doing it throughout the year. It'll be different practicing the way. And so this, for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about the Sabbath. The Sabbath, which means stop. <laughs> stop. The Sabbath. Uh, now, I don't know about you, I don't know what your upbringing was, but I was brought up in a, uh, I'm quite old, and I was brought up in a, uh, in, in Belfast, Northern Ireland, which is a relatively strict Christian background. My mother and father practiced the Sabbath, which meant on Sunday, we weren't allowed to go to the shops, we weren't allowed to play games, I had to go to church three times, we weren't allowed to watch television. And I even remember once a little old lady over the road saying, we'd love to buy your kids an ice cream. And my dad went, no, we don't believe in shopping on Sunday. Okay? So I had a, I mean, it's, it's not like the worst thing that ever happened. But my observations of the Sabbath were very, very strict. So that on, on Sundays, basically, you didn't do anything. And it became, I mean, I was, when you're like, 12 and you have to wear a suit to church and you get a little bit worried that some of your friends are going to bump into you in the street you know and all that kind of stuff so it was a little bit I mean no it was weird okay it definitely was weird I was going to try to like be kind to my parents and it was I understood what they were doing but for me when, when we talk about the Sabbath it kind of has those kind of connotations about like you know a little bit strict a little bit rigid Something on the Sabbath, which is a Sunday for many of us, we, there's certain things we do and certain things we don't do. And so let's, today I want to look at the Sabbath. Why do we have a day called the Sabbath? Let's look at the Bible. Genesis 2, verse 2 to 3 says this. 
By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work, and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. (laughs) Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So we see right at the beginning of creation, God kind of like introduces this day of rest. Six days he works, seventh day, day of rest. So in the early poetic writing of the Bible, in the Genesis narrative, we see that there's something there about resting. That once every seven days, it's good to stop and rest. And then if we look at Exodus uh, chapter 16, this is what Moses said. So that they've just been, uh, the children of Israel have just been delivered from Egypt. Okay, they've just crossed the Red Sea. They've been, they've been freed from one culture that they've been part of for 400 years. And then Mo, and they get away, and it's, a bit of a, it's quite a dramatic type scenario, going through the Red Sea, getting away, Pharaoh's people all drown, all that kind of stuff. Read it, it's a brilliant story. And then Moses says this, Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather, but on the seventh day, the the Sabbath, there will not be any. Now, when you're studying the Bible, they always say you should look for the the thing called the law of first mention. This is the first time in the Bible that Sabbath is mentioned, right here in Exodus 16. So God has already, in the creation narrative, introduced a sense of rest. Here we then have the children of Israel escaping from one culture and stepping in to create their own culture. And God is saying, and through Moses, rest. On the Sabbath day, stop. Don't collect manna. Don't do all of that. Stop. So because in, when they were in Egypt, they had to work all the time. They were slaves. They were slaves to that culture. And when they stepped out, they had to define what was different about them. And one of the differences was that they would practice Sabbath. And then God does takes it a little bit further in Exodus chapter 20. He says, you know, this is a remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you nor your son or daughter, that's where my dad got that whole like, you know, don't play games. Uh, Your son, daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So, God ordained it in creation. It was God-ordained, and then it was culturally ingrained into the children of Israel, and then it was legally sustained by the uh, Ten Commandments. God only gave Ten Commandments, yet one of them was given over to practicing Sabbath. And if we look as well, we can see that uh, (laughs) when God finished creation, he instituted the Sabbath. When he brought the people out of Egypt, he insisted on the strict observance of it. And when he gave the law, he made it a tenth of the whole. And it's just to see that Sabbath in, in our Bibles, in our teaching, really important. But how do we practice Sabbath is probably what we're all looking at today. How do we actually do this? Now, the other thing we need to realize is that Jesus observed Sabbath. 
Luke 4, verse 16, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. So Jesus went and practiced a Sabbath. He went to a synagogue on a Sunday. Actually, it was a Saturday then. Uh, But he also said, we need to remember this piece when it comes to talking about Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So God ordains it. It becomes culturally ingrained. And then the law sustains it. And then we see that Jesus practices it. And then we realize that the early church in Acts practiced the Lord's Day. They called it the Lord's Day. When I, it's not just the Sabbath, it was the Lord's Day. Actually, John in Revelation, the last book to be written in about 90 AD, he said, I was on the Lord's Day. So they'd be, they referred to Sabbath as the Lord's Day. So there's this sense of uh, the Lord's Day built into our Christian heritage, our Christian history, and the way that we're called to practice. Do we practice Sabbath? I don't want to slip back into not being able to have an ice cream. Because ice cream is one of... Do you know, it's weird, actually. I really like ice cream. I'm, anyway, let's not talk about ice cream. Uh, it's a whole distraction. It's a bunny trail. It's a bunny trail. Uh, so, <laughs> the, John Mark Comer says this. The end goal of Sabbath is not to say, I practice Sabbath. It's to apprentice under Jesus to become a person who is marked by an inner spirit of restfulness and who is calm, at ease in their own body, unhurried, kind, and present. You will become aware of what God is doing around you, sincerely grateful, emotionally healthy, and delighted by the goodness of your life with God. A person who is like a rock in a sea of chaos, unmoved by the overwork, overconsumption, and overactivity of our host culture. That makes Sabbath sound quite attractive to me. I want to be that person. But we have to realize that to, to practice Sabbath, it means we have to stop. And the word Sabbath means stop. The primitive roof, 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 the primitive roof, root means to repose, that is to desist from exertion. It's used in many implied different ways, but the, the word Sabbath just means stop, stop, stop. We have to learn to stop, to desist. <laughs> and why do we need to learn to stop? Well, I don't know about you, but culture's busy, isn't it? Life's busy. Every, you know, it's non-stop. It's non-stop. The minute you wake up, the minute you go to bed, it's non-stop. If you let it become non-stop. You know, it's crazy. A lot of the things that we do, we ask people, how's your week? You know, are you busy? Almost like we wear, I'm busy, like a badge of honor. Yeah, yeah, I'm busy. You know, yeah, yeah, you're busy. Yeah, I was busy. Yeah, cool. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's just a thing we do, isn't it? You're busy. And so it's almost like if you went, nah, I'm not really very busy. We'd be, are you okay? <laughs> yeah, are you sure? Yeah, it's, it's, I was in Hong Kong, and they were saying that actually if you said you weren't busy, people would be like, oh, they'd want to talk to your manager about that. You know, but we have, to be, we have to be busy all the time. So, But we, in the midst of that, if we're called, we've stepped out of that culture, 
We've stepped out of the old way. We've been set free by Jesus. We've been called to be Christians, to live differently. Just like the children of Israel stepped out of Egypt and then they started to live differently. So the living differently as a Christian isn't just like the don't drink, the don't smoke, all that kind of stuff. The living differently as a Christian is something about lifestyle and how we practice our Christianity, how we outwork it. And one of those is we don't get sucked into the culture of busyness and consumerism. We step aside and we say, stop, I'm going to practice Sabbath. If uh, a guy called Walter Brueggemann, this is a great book if you get the opportunity to read it, it's called Sabbath as Resistance. And he says, in our own contemporary context of the rat race of anxiety, the celebration of Sabbath is an act of both resistance and alternative. It is resistance because it is a visible insistence that our lives are not defined by the production and consumption of commodity goods. <laughs> it's, you know, so we're driven. I don't know about you, but we're kind of driven by this kind of a narrative that rings down all around us that is, you need to buy some stuff, you need to get this, you need to do that, you need to go here. We're driven to be busy, to produce, to buy, to consume. Yet we're probably better defined as a contribution rather than a consumer. But our world is geared towards us consuming. So there has to be a point where we say, stop. And we practice Sabbath. We live differently. And so I was thinking about that. What do we mean by stop? Well, I, I've got, as all good preachers would try out, I've got three points. I nicked them from a guy called R.T. Kendall. It was interesting, right? I'm just going to say this. I was reading John Mark Comer's stuff on Sabbath, and then I read... R.T. Kendall stuff on Sabbath, and it's the same. I'm not saying that John Mark nicked it from R.T., but it's the same. I'm just putting that out there, okay? And so I, it's funny. I was, in, I was in Portland in America, and I've got a friend who leads a church there, and he practices Sabbath. And so every Friday night, he lights three candles with his family, says a prayer, puts his phone down, sits around, has a glass of wine, chills, does all of that, until the following evening about five o'clock the next night and he and they practice sabbath they they do stuff in that 24-hour period that is about them as a family it's about them focusing on god they don't try and watch you know the latest box set jeremy clarkson's farm was what i'm getting sucked into recently uh and it, yeah of course we all are it's like norfolk uh, anyways, but so yeah, we get we get sucked into whatever, and, and you know, and and it's kind of like uh, Eugene Peterson says that the day off has some is the uh, it's the the kind of uh, it's not a Sabbath basically. He says it's not a Sabbath. That it's a day off. Sabbath is an intentional act. There's intentionality in stopping, in saying, I'm not going to do this. And, and the other thing about Sabbath, obviously, is we can, we, it's easy enough to say, well, I'm not going to look at my phone for 24 hours. I'm going to switch it off. I'm not, I'm not going to do that because I've got a son who's in Chile right now. And if he phones me from Chile and says, you know, I've been bitten by a penguin or whatever, <laughs> he's going to go and see, like, emperor penguins tomorrow. This is a realistic opportunity. And, uh, but I, if he's going to, do you know what I mean? I don't want to miss the phone call. So the, the, at different stages of life, you can, do, do you know what I mean? You can put the phone away for 24 hours, but there'll be other times where you can't. John Mark Comer says, well, why don't we practice Sabbath for four hours? 
five hours, six hours. Try and practice just stopping, stepping out, you know, being different, focusing on God, deliberately reading something Christian, look, or, or thinking about something in a different way, listening to some worship music. Uh, it's, Sabbath appeals to introverts, you know, because we like our own space. You know, you like to be on your own, and you could do, you know, people can drain you. Uh, but there's other ways to practice Sabbath. Practice Sabbath by having a meal with some friends, by spending time with people. You know, it's not just about retreating and disappearing from the world. It's about celebrating the world. So how do we do this? Well, we're going to teach about it over the next uh, three weeks, so I'm not going to nick everybody's stuff. Tim's going to talk about rest next week. But there's, uh, there's three things I think we need to stop to do. The first one is this. We need to stop to reflect. We need to reflect. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. I lift up my eyes to the hills. We had to do a prayer room in St. Paul's Cathedral. In the, the organization I work with, it's called 24-7 Prayer, and we had to set up a prayer room in St. Paul's Cathedral. So what happened is, I'm running around trying to get an extension cable. Someone's forgot an extension cable. And so you're just charging around, it's early morning, you're trying to get this prayer room set up in, you know, St. Paul's Cathedral in London, it's huge. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm like trying to look for this guy, this verger, to get, uh, I need an extension cable. And so I'm charging around, charging around, and then... I just get into the middle where the dome is, and I felt God just say to me, just like a kind of a thought, Brian, stop and look up. And I stopped and I looked up, and above me was the beautiful dome of Sir Christopher Wren's beautiful cathedrals, gorgeous piece of architecture and art. And I stopped and I looked up. And it did make me think that often I can be running through life so quickly that I don't stop and look up. I don't look around. I don't lift up my eyes to the hills and look for God. I don't stop to reflect. And part of Sabbath is that stopping to reflect, to look at the beauty that is around us. We need to reflect on the goodness of God. Sometimes at the end of the day, I will write in my journal, where did I see God today? Because it's important sometimes to stop and reflect and to look up. We get so caught up in this culture of busyness that we need to stop. I, I, I think many of you will have heard this story before, but a friend of mine, who, Pete Gregg, who wrote this book, he talks uh, how to hear God. And he says he was walking along one day and he felt God told him to look at a tree. And he's walking along and he stops and he looks at the tree and he's waiting for God to give him this really divine revelation. He's thinking about a tree and there's going to be all sorts that come. And then and God just went, it, it's just a nice tree. <laughs> that was it. Just a, and he walked on. You know, but sometimes we have to learn to stop and look up. And we're surrounded by it here. We're surrounded by beauty. We're, but you can see beauty in all sorts of different things. We need to look for it and stop. Practice the Sabbath by stopping and reflecting. Uh, it was Brennan Manning who said this, The spirituality of wonder knows the world is charged with grace, that while sin and war, disease and death are terribly real, God's loving presence and power in our midst are even more real. When we practice wonder, looking up, wonder really is a gasp. That moment we go, <gasps> right? Last week, we, sorry, I just got back from Australia. I had to drop it in. Uh, but uh, 
we, we were walking and we looked over this cliff and we, we just looked down and there were two sea turtles swimming around in the sea. And for me, I went like, ah, it was a gasp. One was a gasp. But we can't always be going looking for sea turtles. Well, we, you won't find them in Norfolk, I don't think. But there are, we have to look around at creation and pause and reflect and look up and allow the Lord to speak to us through his creation. <laughs> do you know there was a survey of 90-year-olds? And they, they asked them, they said, what would you do differently? What would you do differently? And the first thing they said was risk more. So they'd risk more, to take more risks. The second thing was leave something that outlives them. And the third thing was reflect more. Stop and enjoy it. Stop and enjoy it. Stop and look up. And we're called to stop, to practice Sabbath and look up. We're so busy charging through life from one thing to the next thing. I'm I'm a bit, God gave me my birthday in January because I hate when Christmas is over because I like the anticipation of Christmas. I'm going to get presents and then I get really depressed that, but then it's my birthday on January 26th, so I'm like, oh, happy days, you know, that's good. I, it helps me get through it. You know, I think that's why the Lord, oh, it's probably more to do with my mum and dad. But anyway, uh, <laughs> where am I going with this? I have no idea what I'm talking about right now, Tracy. I'm just looking at you, and she has no idea either. But yeah, let's just move on. Okay, yeah, stop, look up, reflect. Oh, Brian, I'm a bit jet-lagged. All right, so... <laughs> I have no idea. How old am I now? It must be like 53. It's just when it goes from you, it's like horrendous. Anyway, so first point, stop, reflect. Second point, stop. We have to stop to defeat hurry. Psalm 127 verse 2 in the English Standard Version says this, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Our culture would have us eat the bread of anxious toil. You know, it's all about the work. Work, 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 work. It's the bread of anxious toil. And we, and we, we get caught up in it. You know, Dallas Willard once called hurry the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. This is what he said. I would say hurry is a state of frantic effort one falls into in response to inadequacy, fear, and guilt. Then here's a quote from him. We should take as our aim to live our lives entirely without hurry. The peace and joy and strength which God intended for human life, the well-being and health of mind and body is inconsistent with living in a hurry. Of course, occasional bouts of hurry may be reasonable in such a world as this. But chronic hurry is not. The simple essence of hurry is, I've got too much to do. I've got so much to do. I've got so much on. You know, we, <laughs> the good of avoiding hurry is that we just learn to take pleasure more. You know, see, what happened was the Israelites, when they came out, they were just so busy. They were rush, rush, rush. And the Sabbath was that, like, stop, stop, stop hurrying. It's counter cultural. I don't, I don't know about you, but when I drive a car, does anyone ever do this? Do you ever try and beat your sat-nav? Does anyone race the sat-nav? I always race the sat-nav. I'm like, it says I'm going to get home at 2.39. I'm thinking, that's 2.30. I can take nine minutes off that, especially if I'm coming from Guildford, right, which is 139 miles. I'm thinking I can cane this. And does it, is it, is other people good? It's not just me. I actually got a speeding ticket doing that as well, which is a nightmare. 
And it's really awkward when you tell them, isn't it? How, what did you do? And you, why are you here? And you go, I was trying to beat my sat-nav. <laughs> it's not like... Anyway. Uh, I, I know where I'm going with this one. And so we're like... So <laughs> we're, but, but life can be like that. We can just, you know, do you know what I mean? I'm like, I, I'm going to turn off to a junction. I'm thinking, right, there's a yellow lorry ahead of me. I'm going to get in front of that lorry. I'm gonna, and that's my goal now. I set little car goals, overtaking goals, and things like that. It's, Tracy doesn't like it. She's got a fake brake paddle next to her that she does all the time. It's, it's horrendous. And do you ever have that moment as a couple in the car? You go, oh, and she, Brian, stop. And I, I saw it. I saw it. Honestly, I saw it. And anyway, I have written off four cars, so I have given her reason to believe that I might not always see it. In fact, once, just for instance, uh, we bought a new car in Luton, where Tracy's sister lived. And to get there, we borrowed Tessa's car to take us. So Tessa lent us her car. That's Tracy's sister. just sitting there. And me and Tracy drove, picked up the new car. And then on the way back... I was in a bit of a hurry at a roundabout, and I looked, and I thought, everybody's gone. This has been owned the car an hour, and I drove into the back of Tracy in Tessa's car and completely smashed up our new car and Tessa's car because I was hurrying, okay? <laughs> we've, got to, we've got to learn to stop, you know, or we'll, we'll end up having a crash. You know, the people that, a lot of people you meet that are burnt out that have serious emotional crashes... They're, they're hurrying, they're busy, they're rushing through life. And all of a sudden, it's like, boom, something happens, something deflects them, or they take their eyes off the road at a roundabout, and boom, an accident happens. And we've got we to be careful. We need to watch that the culture doesn't make us rush, 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 because that's when people have accidents, when things happen. Yeah. We live in a driven world when we want to do what we're called to do, not what we're driven to do. Do you know, no one, no one on their deathbed, no one on their deathbed ever said, I wish I'd spent more time at work. No one. It's never on anyone's gravestone. He was gutted. He wasn't busy enough. <laughs> it's not there. It doesn't exist. Do you know I mean, we need to learn to stop. We need to it's the, the, the stop to look up, but also just stop and rage against the hurry of this world. We are called to live differently. This is the practice, the way, the way of Jesus. The one who stopped often, was often stopped for people, often stepped out of his life and went up a mountain to pray or went into the desert to pray or went into a garden to pray. He often stopped. He modeled it. And then, finally, we need to stop to be refreshed. There's another really good reason to stop is for refreshment. Have you ever watched those... Uh, the like Tour de France and all that, or the marathon. And then the guys are like driving by the water bottle station. And they just grab it and drink it and go on. That's not, that's just to get them going. That's fuel. But I sometimes think that's how we get refreshed in life. We're just bombing along and we grab a quick drink on a Sunday morning and then we just bomb on again. Do you know, do you know what I mean? It's like a quick gulp of something. We're called to be refreshed. Jesus, you know, the psalmist said, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. If he, God, the shepherd, refreshes our soul, then we need to spend time with him and allow him to refresh our souls. Not just a quick grab as we cycle by, you know, on a Sunday morning. We need to allow him to refresh our souls, so we stop to be refreshed. We were 
we, we, we were walking last week and we did 14K walk. We did 7Ks and then you had to turn around. And after the first 7K, we ran out of water and there was nowhere to buy water and it was 32 degrees. And I, so we had to do 7Ks with no water. And by the end of it, I drank like, like a liter of ginger beer and then a liter of water. And you know, you're like, you gulp, gulp, gulp. But if we had taken that more consistently and constantly, and we just hadn't, we didn't think it through properly. But if you'd, do you know what I mean? You need to take regular drinks, regular drinks. We don't want big gulping, 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 but we just regular drinks. There's obviously those times where we come, we come to a meeting and we're dry and we're parched because life has been difficult. We have challenges and we haven't been able to practice the Sabbath. And we come and God, by his grace, will pour out his refreshment upon us. Absolutely. But we need to build it into our lives to be practice, uh, stop and be refreshed. Mary and Martha in Luke 10, verse 38 to 42. You know where I'm going with this. Uh, she had a sister called Mary who sat, Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Mary was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Sometimes we're just distracted, and we just sometimes need to sit at the feet of Jesus, like Mary did. Interestingly, that's also a comment on uh, Jesus. One of the things was, one of the symbols of sitting under a rabbi was you sat at your rabbi's feet. And women weren't normally allowed to sit at the rabbi's feet. So in that verse, actually, it's quite a subversive verse around women in leadership as well. Because Jesus, Jesus was one of the only rabbi, was the only rabbi at that point who said, you could sit at my feet. As a, as a, and so the, the intonation of the writing there is that as one would sit at a rabbi's feet. So there's just a little extra bit in that for you. But we have to learn to stop, to sit, to be refreshed. So that's Sabbath. That's what we're looking at, that we would practice the way, that we would stop to reflect, that we would stop to defeat hurry, and that we would stop to be refreshed. That's the call on each one of our lives to practice. And uh, I don't know how you will do that. But we have in our small groups this week, there's a whole load of stuff that John Mark and the team have put together to help you and for you to have a look at around this whole thing of stopping. But I just want to, as we finish this morning, we're not going to do any, we're not going to do a song at the end. I'm just going to pray if that's all right. Is that okay, Kim? You're in charge? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Kim's doing a brilliant job, by the way, isn't she? Yeah, I think she, anyway. Uh, yeah, I, just Think about what is it you need to stop? What is it you need to stop? Do you need to stop for a refreshment? Are you too hurried? Do you not reflect enough? Father, I just pray right now that you would come. By grace, without condemnation. And that you would highlight to us those areas where we need to reflect more. Lord, where we need to stop to defeat the hurry in our lives, Lord. Lord, and where we need to come to you and ask for refreshment. So Lord, I pray you'd help us to practice the way of Sabbath and to learn to stop in order that we would live counter-culturally. In Jesus' name, amen.